The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Hey, podcast listeners, my guest on Talent Talk Asia is Adam Campbell, director at Paddington Partners. How are you, Adam? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, I have Adam in the house. Now, literally in the house. He's actually at my home in my home office today because we live very near to each other. So it's actually quite nice and relaxed. East Coast living. I know it is. Absolutely. Right. Let's kick off. Um, I mean, we've known each other for a few years. You, um, you're, you guys have supported uh, Robert Walters over a number of years. So we've been fortunate enough to have you guys help us with, um, you know, supporting us with getting some great recruiters in the time, door. Yeah, so when a you long were there, time. And then you left and I kind of left. <laughs> then, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a long time. Ten. When did you leave? 2013. 2013, yeah. Yeah. So it's quite a long time, right? Let me just check. This the is glory actually- days. Absolutely, the glory days. Right. Okay, let's kick off. Um, you're pretty famous within the Singapore circles um, oh of recruitment industry. So I'm so happy to have you on the show because we've got some different questions than the one that we had with Justine, which yeah. um, she was doing part one, you're doing part two. Um, so let's just, if you can just sort of run me through, I suppose, your background and sort of what got you to get into Rec to Rec, because previously you were also recruitment as well. So yeah. talk me through. So- sort of, no one thinks about getting into rec to rec, really. It kind of just happens. But um, like that wasn't the plan. Like I started out in construction, healthcare, sales and marketing in Ireland. Um, again, that was kind of by fluke. I just kind of, I went to pick up a friend from college for lunch and her boss got talking to me while I was waiting in reception and then it happened. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was 2005. Gosh. So yeah, shout out to Neve O'Brien back in Dublin. <laughs> um and then I went to Australia with the plan to do the exact same thing. Um, and then Asia. And then I just kind of realized my face kind of just didn't fit in with those markets in Singapore. I was really struggling. Um, nine months I blanked. Did you? Nine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why? What happened? Um, I think it was my style. Like I came, like I was doing tech contract in Sydney and I came to Singapore, like I was quite aggressive mm. and I was going to meetings and I was talking to HR and... I just, I didn't climatize myself at all. Well, I expected it to turn yeah, around quickly. Take a moment to realize that this market works a bit slower. Mm, more relationship. And I was just banging my head against the wall and it wasn't working. Right. Um, so I took my manager at the time to kind of pull me aside and go, look. Um, and at the time, then Rec to Rec kind of came on the horizon. So I, I guess I kind of just realized um, like an expat 
kind of market or market like I was terrible with HR I, I was terrible <laughs> with like loading resumes and waiting for a response I'm very impatient right, right. so like I, I was looking for any market where like really I could just deal with the decision makers directly right um, and then it kind of happened yeah so that was kind of yeah 2009 2010 so what changed then because obviously I mean when, when we called up for you know lunch or over the years you're always busy you're always facing people across across Singapore so yeah. what changed then in terms because it's still recruitment right um I guess for me um what's really changed like like for me it's just I think it's just an ownership thing like mm. but rec to rec like you know um I think we've real influence like there's a million a million things I could say I, th- I think the main thing is I know what I'm talking about doing this I've been there there's a real nice um it's really nice being able to talk to your candidate base and you've done the same job as them and you can really like say, you can speak to a researcher or a consultant with two years experience saying, look, you know, I know where you are right yeah. now in your career yeah. of being there. Yeah. Um, when I was doing tech in Sydney, I really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I was just matching buzzwords, specs to resumes and I was doing deals. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound as though your passion was there compared yeah, like, to like, what it is You now. know, I genuinely like, well, I'm 15 years in recruitment now. Like I, I like genuinely like partnering with candidates and clients mm. and actually seeing the results of that mm. um you know we get the whatsapps when someone's had their biggest month or they've been top biller like you know i got photographs yesterday from from um a candidate who had like won an award and all awesome. that so very nice that just never happened yeah like, i was mainly personal. recruiting into mncs back in the day and like it's just you do the deal and you were just cut out completely mm. Yeah, um, I get that. So I think it's just, yeah, it's a personal thing. Like you're way, you're closer to your clients, you're closer to your candidates. You genuinely, you've made mistakes in your career maybe going through and you genuinely don't want people to do the same. So yeah. you feel yeah, like you're right in point. the thick of the market and the process on everything you have your hands yeah, on. It's certainly it. much faster. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Like back when you were at, at RW, I remember you closed one guy for us in a day. Um, yeah. And that just doesn't happen in regular recruitment, yeah. like you know. So, so I love the speed of it as well. Like, I, I love the fact that you can go into a recruit. I love working a recruitment desk where you know it, there could be three days left of the month, and and the month's not over. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, whereas some, well, I talk to some candidates, and you know they're a week into January, going, yeah, you know they Panicking. know their next deal is in Feb. Like I couldn't. Yeah. So it's just it's a different market, pace. but yeah, no, I love it. Like I think it's the best market. Yeah. Now, you published an article on LinkedIn in October, which I think got quite a lot of responses positively called The Changing Landscape for Recruitment Firms in Singapore, which was really jam-packed with some really interesting trends. So there was quite a few questions that I, I really wanted to kind of dig out a little bit more from you. Now, you mentioned that recruitment leaders are more hands-on now than previously where they took the internal development route. So that kind of really resonated with me with because me, as soon as I got to director of waters, it was sort of virtually impossible to recruit anymore with the size of headcount. Um, and I really miss the recruitment side. Yeah. You know, you're just purely internal people development and a lot of the time unfortunately it's kind of conflict management Mm -hmm. more than anything um can you share with me more why there has been a shift to leaders now selling than the than just the internal focus um yeah like there's quite a lot in it i think it came from the fact of like talking i was talking to a lot of international directors and a lot of senior managers in europe and australia and the us who were like coming to singapore and like their impression of what could happen in singapore regarding their career was was very skewed from the reality of it like that was kind of how the article came about like i was talking to maybe someone who's 80 level in london who wants to come out here and be a, be a ceo in three like it's, you know it's it's really hard to happen like i think back in 09 2010 like we were getting eps in like two days 
you know, wow. we were getting EPs 48 hours on like three sing a month, right? Wow. So you Those come, were the days. So you could come here as a manager and like we were doing projects back then, like just like send 10 resumes, the client would hire five, they'd start within a week. Like it was, yeah. so as a manager coming here during that kind of 2009, 2012 mm. period, mm. um, there was a massive appetite to, to scale and grow and it was easy. Yeah. No CI exam, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? And you could come and do it, like, you know, like, and, and you could come and you could hire somebody on three grand a month and if, if they could kick in 150K in a year, like, you know, you're making money. Mm. So what's, what's shifted is, like, obviously, like, you know, visas, MOM has, you know, got very tight. Like, you know, seven, six and a half K is kind of the, the magic number now for an EP. Like, you will still get them at five. But when you look at a P&L, paying someone six and a half grand, like, you, you kind of need them to be doing minimum 300 K. Mm. And the reality of the market is probably 99% of recruiters are doing somewhere around kind of 240 Wow. Uh, okay. 240 to 280. And then and then you have like, you know, the select few in the top 5% who are doing that kind of 450 to a million dollars. Yeah. Is that, is that still in Singapore fairly rare or? It, it's definitely like, you know, when we interview somebody, um, typically like, you know, their best year was 2014, 2015. They're still doing really well in their mm. role. Um, so as a manager out here, you're kind of looking, during that period, you're kind of like, okay, this, this, my, I'm now sitting on a team of 10 consultants who are maybe earning six to seven grand base. And it can be a house of cards. Like you'll, you'll have one or two people doing half a million bucks yeah. and then you'll have a couple of people who are struggling and then you have a few people middle of the road. Mm. And a lot of those managers and directors that came here in those years, they got like big expat packages yeah. um, and they're sitting there looking at their base salary. And like, you know, you're talking of kind of, you know, mid 200s, 300K base salaries. Mm. And that can be a worrying <laughs> place to be. Yeah. So like... It, it all it all comes down to them wanting to make their cost make sense. And a lot of the MD roles that we're doing now or director level and above, it's in their deal that, you know, they, they need to cover their cost right. minimum from right. a billing perspective. Right. And so if you're looking, so for sort of MD roles that are, that are coming up or director level roles, what headcount are they looking after and what's the size of the, the business in terms of P&L? Um, if you're you know, allowed like, to say that, I'm not sure if that's confidential. Yeah, like... Um, like in Singapore in general now, like if you if you're even fifteen twenty people in an office, like you're considered a big firm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, when we work on a senior level role, and I think this is why you you kind of do need a a rec to rec. Like it's it's nearly always a replacement role, mm-hmm. or it's um it's it's nearly never advertised. Like it upsets people when senior leaders come in. Like there's always someone in the business who wants to step into that role, mm-hmm. and maybe they haven't had the conversation yet. So mm-hmm. for us, look, it's usually a turnaround job and maybe hire a few. Um, it's usually scale up, but like from when it used to be first first person on the ground, get it to 20 within a year. Yeah. It's now more, we're at 15. We want to get to 20 by the end of the year. Right, okay. So, so the appetite's of, not there in terms of growth of headcount. Is it more on productivity? Yeah, like all these firms are doing really, really, really well. It's just, the reality is you jump into the war for talent for for the best Singaporean and class recruiters mm. who will have their pick of the bunch. Yeah. Or you go down the road hiring an expat, which any recruiter that you're going to bring on board, like it's probably going to be a two to three week process. Mm. EPs tracking at four to six weeks. But are expats aren't getting expat packages now though? No, not expat packages. But I think if you're hiring anyone that's non-Singaporean now, like you probably need to go in to the process knowing they're probably not going to be on desk for probably two months. Yeah, yeah. So I think just with all that happening and, and much more exciting stuff happening in the region, 
like we have clients in Vietnam, we have clients in Thailand, we have clients in Jakarta, KL. Um, I think just a lot of our clients are global clients and they looked at it going, you know, where are we going to invest now? Like Singapore is solid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we'll always make our money there, but you know, why not stick a person in Ho Chi Minh and see yeah. what's happening there? Yeah, and Thailand's opened it yeah. up a lot more. So mm-hmm. a lot of the MDs that are going in now, like their package will involve a personal billing element. Right. How do they feel about that, that shift? Well, the, the usual thing they say is, Oh yeah, look, you know, no problem. I was I was great back in the like, you know, but yeah. it is so hard. It is it is difficult to manage and to build yeah. at the same time. But I suppose you've just got to be able to be quite strategic on the the clients that you're focusing on that they're you know that it's either bringing in new business for the entire office and just sort of building yeah, totally. out that way or sticking to one particular client that you know you're going to get you know volume business that's easy because you can't yeah. you just can't have it all it's just very difficult to be able to manage and do that at the same time yeah like like some of the deals involve just pulling the deals over the line for the good of the office yeah. right and, yeah. and their, their bonus is purely on office profit yeah um some of their mds are getting a personal commission deal which that can be you know tricky like you really don't want someone running an office yeah, good and bad. Yeah, and um, but also I, I do I do actually find it. Um, I think I think for consultants it's inspirational to have their bosses billing though. Otherwise, there is always that concern of you, you know it's harder to manage a culture when you've got a lot of consultants looking up and their bosses and and is just doing internal stuff. I, I think like you know if if I look at you know the really successful firms that 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 we support, um, like the number one in the office is usually the number one on the board. Mm. Um, yeah. And like just by osmosis, like, you know, the rest of the team are inspired to be that person. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no more corner offices with, you know, oh, the damn, door closed. I used to love my, my office at Latofa Boat Key. Well, oh, I do miss most of our office. clients are on the floor. <laughs> we went to see one of our bigger clients. <laughs> there were the days. Um, we yeah. went to see one of our bigger clients the other day and, um, you know, he's in, there's 50, 50 well 37 consultants but like 40 odd in the office yeah like his is the first screen you see when you walk in the sales yeah, floor I th- personally i think that's right i think as soon as as soon as when when robert waters moved offices to when we took over a huge um a huge office space and mark and i both got offices to be honest it completely changed mm. it really did you as much as it's great for private conversations and you can kind of get your head down it was never the same for me yeah. anyway. I really do feel being there, you can hear everything. And also you're, it's able to, you're able to teach people and develop way better when you're sitting opposite yeah. someone. They can hear you on the phone. They can hear what you're contributing. I think stuck in an office, like pros and cons, I suppose. But I personally would rather yeah. be on an open plan. So I get, I can yeah, get why you're seeing that now. A lot with that as well is like, the business, the, certainly the larger firms have really changed. Like they've invested massively, massively in external training, L&D managers for the region like yeah it, like I don't remember those roles really being there 10 years ago like yeah. so if you're an MD in an office and there's a L&D head and sitting beside you and there's a HR and there's like a regional talent acquisition person yeah. like you really your job specs being cut in half yeah and um the natural thing is for you to go back to yeah back on desk so okay but like we've seen massive trends of our clients it's 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 awesome like they're investing so heavily in 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 those teams now in what way um well for us it's not great they're all hiring tas (laughs) (laughs) right yeah but like um to bring their costs down yeah and like that's great Mm -hmm. like you know like you know um so yeah we've had job specs in the last few years like of our agency clients asking us to find l&d managers Mm. for their business Mm. like you just never got requests like that really yeah that's true um so they're evolving then aren't they in terms of 
as an industry. But external training as well is is being huge. Obviously, you know, yeah, thank your you. business. I, yeah, got it like, the right time. I, there was definitely a period where people were like agencies here were really private like they didn't want anyone outside of those yeah, four walls it's really changed, knowing it? what's mm. going on in here and like they'd be scared to go and talk to somebody outside of their four walls about yeah. what's happening and the challenges so they're healthy. having as a business it's so, so healthy for them to do it's, that. it's yeah it's it's massively open now and um i've noticed a lot of our managers like they're you know they want the best for their teams and yes. they're 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 okay to put their hand up and go you know what a different voice here will help you mm. um you know, I've, I've sometimes done it. it's doing the yeah. same message, but it's uh, yeah, but like you know, an, another view. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even training with people who are not recruitment people, like we've seen a lot of that, and that's actually yeah. really healthy. Like, yeah, you know, you've um, just expanded their minds into different areas, just different skills. Yeah, but like all the trends we're seeing is in massive support to um, to everyone in the business b- below the leadership level, right? Okay. And um, that that's a really good trend, and that is something that people are looking for now. Like our candidates are like it's one of their first questions. So if 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 organisations don't have L and D or have HR, how are those leaders that are now billing able to give enough time to developing staff? Because that's a real shift now, right? It, it really has to be very. They have to be very clear about exactly what that is going to be like for any mm. new joiners. Um, if it's come in and you'll be okay, like, you know, that, that candidate will just not join that firm, right? Like, mm. you know, that they nearly need to see that in the, you know, how much time am I going to have with you? And um, we have a lot of conversations with candidates who are going into boutique firms here. Yeah. Um, and I always ask them about the MD, like when they want the job, like we kind of, we don't talk them out of going somewhere, but we will really challenge the candidate that they're yeah. making the right decision. Yeah. And if they say, well, look, I'm joining because I just love the boss. Like we will go another level and, and ask our client, look, how much time are you really going to have with this yeah. person? Because they're totally joining for you. Yeah. And they go, well, I'll have a catch up on a Friday with them. Yeah. Like, so like we're noticing that, yeah, for our clients that don't have those L&D or in-house teams, they are actually making proper proper efforts and putting together like their own personal induction right. documents. They're showing that during interviews. Right. And they're saying, look, this is what it's going to, like, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a catch up on a Monday morning between 10 and 11. Right. So it's, it's way more transparent. It's yeah. more of a program in place. And, um, yeah. Even in our business, we're a twenty-person business, but like our induction manual, like you know, we review it every year. And a lot of the boutiques, yeah. they are they are trying to operate and do the things that the larger firms are doing, and it's great. Yeah. Um. But that's really what a lot of the people who play is like. That's what they want. Like you know, it's um, it's typically about support. Mm. Am I going to learn and grow in this next role? Yeah. Um. You don't see a lot of deals of consultants just walking their desk across the road and and just doing the exact same thing somewhere yeah, else, right? Yeah. Like they want to be inspired. They want to grow mm-hmm. and they want this year to be their best year ever and that typically just comes down with training the manager like if someone has a bad month or a bad quarter it's usually a training gap mm. right it's not if they're doing the kpis and the numbers aren't happening and they're working with good clients that have historically yeah. paid that firm there's something going wrong there like uh, yeah i think sometimes i think the only the only thing i'd say is if they've got that drive that in a kind of want to succeed sometimes people move into recruitment and think it's what they want to do and earn money but actually they're not always always hungry to go that extra mile yeah well like the money co- comes and goes in singapore right so yeah. I, I think people yeah like there, there still is that thing where a lot of um, a lot of recruiters here there this has been a lifestyle move for them you know they, mm. and the, the money is a part of it but really, I think because Singapore is so transient, like a lot of a lot of the candidates replacing, they're on that two to five year plan in Singapore, and and the reality is they probably will leave one day, and they might go back to Sydney, they might go back to London, mm. they and they want to be a better caliber of 
consultant or manager yeah. when that day comes. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I got a um, I got a um, message from a lady that I train, and she's a junior manager, and asked. Um, she's outside of Singapore and asked, you know, do I have any contacts of you know, someone that can coach her? Um, mm. doesn't have to be in recruitment, could be outside of that. But I love these kind of requests because this is then for people to, to say, well, I may not have that development internally. There might be budget restraints or it's just not available, but I'm going to take complete responsibility of my own career. I'm going to upskill yeah. in these areas. And I just, I love that. I think that was a real shift for... Well, people are having the conversation, people. which is first. Like yeah. we, we did a deal um, a couple of years ago um, you know, we do regular placement checks, both sides, clients and candidates, you know, day one week, one month, one, we do all of it. Yeah. And this candidate was really unhappy, like, as in, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. And we were able to sit down with the client and the candidate and they just, their line manager just wasn't as invested as they'd hoped they'd been right. from day one. And Could they change that then? So, or so that they, they, moved, they moved that person to another team and they're still in that role. Right. Okay. And, but like, it was great that they were able to like, you know, I actually, the line manager thought they were joining because they had a better commission scheme than where they previously had been. Yeah. And there was just a disconnect in the communication, but really right. the person was joining to grow. And yeah. it, it's great that people are having that conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, times are changing. It seems that the traditional route of getting to be a manager isn't the only sign of success in recruitment firms anymore. And that companies are defining other career routes for those that don't want to take up managerial roles. Can you expand on these types of roles as I believe the listeners will be keen to hear about them and what companies are doing to accommodate that shift in career goals? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Um, I think I think there was always a thing in recruitment where if you wanted to earn the most money and be held in the highest regard like you had to be the boss or the md yeah and, that status yeah and we had these conversations with clients because how does a person who doesn't want to manage be held in the same mm. light how can they in be the recognized firm? for success and yeah can they can and just from a revenue perspective or like from a salary like can they earn the same salary as mm. their boss without having to manage because yeah. there was a period where you're like you felt like you had to go down that road yeah absolutely um, and there could be some really rubbish managers yeah. out there <laughs> So we've looked at a lot of clients like who are kind of reworking job titles and we're doing it ourselves currently. Like some of the top billers in our firm, like they just have no interest in managing. And like we realized we were having conversations going, so you should hire one next year and you can get to AD level and they're like, no interest. So we like, for us, like it's not all about us, but like, um, so we we, (laughs) we created a title um, called market leader. Okay. So market leader is our title where you are on the director team but you do not manage. Okay. And um, so, what's the equivalent in a recruitment firm then? Is this principal? I guess it'd be like head of practice, maybe, or they'd call them a principal, yeah. or they'd call them like a senior exec. So they had. You know, I'm certainly seeing that there is a distinct difference now with kind of the principal that might mentor one person, um, or, or is just pretty much a standalone biller, and then you've got the manager, which I think is great to define. Yeah, like those. senior exec, but like people who aren't managing should be allowed in those strategy meetings. They should be allowed yeah. to sit in director level meetings and make decisions about the business. Just because you're not managing anyone doesn't mean that you shouldn't be privy to those conversations, yeah. right? So we've just seen a bit of a shift in some of the org charts of some of our clients. Interesting. Um, are people, are, are you seeing more people choosing to go down that route then, the non-managerial? 
Well, due to the previous point where it is hard to scale. Um, yeah. The, the biggest trap here is you're on a, you're on a six-figure salary. You're, you're billing kind of, you know, 100 grand a year and you're managing two to three people. Like, I'm a firm believer you have to be a manager of a significant-sized team mm. or you need to be an outstanding consultant. Mm. Like, it, you need to be one of the two. Mm. And a lot of people have slipped in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they felt they had to go down that leadership track. That was the next pay rise. There aren't, there wasn't a lot of discussions around, because it was always, well, if you build more, you'll make more. That was yeah. kind of the end of the conversation. So, yeah. Well, you know what? I actually would prefer a higher base because I, you know, I want to start a family next year or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of people went into management here when they didn't actually want to do it. Mm. And then the conversations we have with them a year later was, oh, well, you know, that's why I went down that road. Yeah. So having those conversations with clients is great because they're like, well, yeah, well, look, they can sit on the board here and never manage anyone ever if they just aren't passionate about yeah. developing people. So there's a yeah. lot of that happening. But like the types of roles, we're seeing a lot of like account manager roles. Um, we're seeing a lot of our larger clients maybe from like oil and gas or certainly within banking. When you say an account manager role, what does that comprise of? Like they'll probably have a look at the P&L and go, look, you know, we made 90% of our money with these top 10 clients oh, last like year. Oh, like a key account manager. Yeah, like a, right. like, yeah a key account manager. Yeah. And, um, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of the time there's so much emphasis on business development, which yeah. obviously is valid, but there's also a hell of a lot of, um, you know, it's it's also really critical to be focused on the accounts that you've already made money yeah. in or you haven't spoken to in a while. So, but there's just more going avenues. Out to get new ones all the time. There's there's more avenues like whether it's a key account manager role, mm. a regional BD role. They just they don't want to handle candidates anymore. Um, we're seeing yeah. a lot of our clients get really creative with um, like the boutiques are like they have like mini RPO businesses now. Like you know you yeah. used to have to be RW, yeah, um, or Randstad or, or or you know Resource Solutions to do that. Yeah, now. we have clients with less than twenty people, and they have their consultants going on site two days a week with their clients. Right? Really, I didn't yeah. know that. So there's quite a, a trend for that That's as well. That's really interesting. And a good career progression as well for consultants yeah. that are looking at possibly doing in house or still, but but still want to stay with the business. Yeah. So. Again, like a lot of the boutiques and the smaller firms, that they are trying to create those avenues because mm. they know that five, six years ago, like if somebody wanted to do something else, um, they would typically leave the firm, right? Like retaining them was much harder because really it was come in and be a consultant, get promoted to senior con. Yeah. Then there was a huge gap to the MD job yeah. and they would leave. So now they're, you know, if you ever want to go on site or we can, you know, we can have yeah. that conversation with yeah. the client. So, or you can manage just one account. Yeah. Or just focus on candidate management. Like we've seen people come off 360 roles and just go into like international candidate manager roles. Yeah. Um, but again, like I think the best thing about all of it is like we're just seeing lots of dialogue with teams and leadership and their managers and of people not just like, we don't see a lot of surprise resignations. Right. So, a lot, so is that because it's so hard to find good talent that there really is a, a huge focus on retaining their good time. A lot of dialogue, regular check-ins with your team. You know, you've had a bad month. You know, how are you feeling? I need a break. Yeah. I I need a sabbatical. I'm burnt out. Yeah. I promise I'll come back. And they do. Yeah, I know Charterhouse have done that. I know Pat did that, who we had on the podcast. I know she did a sabbatical couple of years ago yeah, yeah it does work um you also gave some advice to researchers because i mean i don't give that much airtime to our wonderful researchers and resources out there um in recruitment firms i'm keen to know you, your question your uh, on your article you were sort of given some advice on the research side yeah um 
how can they kind of gain more experience on the sales side or the client side? If that was something that they their next step was, because we all know that sometimes researchers come in and they're, they're not always standalone research and stay at research. They sometimes come in as a researcher, working on the candidate side, then they might progress to look at client side as their kind of career progression. Um, you know, what career growth are you seeing for researchers? What's, what's happening for researchers out there in the market right now? I think... Um Look, you're seeing a lot, a lot less contingent firms have that function, like they used to. We used to kind of, look. I think people who want to be in research and who want to get into that and add that, like it's a, it's a massive value add. Yeah. Um, for some of the smaller agencies here, it, it can be quite a risky cost. Um, if you have a small mm. research team and then maybe the the sales team aren't bringing in the roles or they're very yeah. heavily heavily PSL focused and it just the market gets tight on them. So, yeah. I think for researchers. Some people just prefer that side of, of yeah. the game, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it is typically very black and white. Like, you know, people want to be a career researcher mm-hmm. or a career associate, mm. or they really want to be a consultant as soon as possible. Right. Now, joining a firm who says, look, come in and see how, how things go. And, you know, we'll promote you when we feel the timing is right. Like, yeah. you know, they will typically lose the candidate at that stage. Um, it needs to be much more transparent now. Look, come in, you can support these two consultants on this desk. This is what those desks generate in revenue mm-hmm. year on year. Um, when you do X amount of deals, right. you will be promoted. You will get a pay rise. Right, so- we'll bring you on client meetings. Everyone operates that function really, really differently. Like I think if you're a researcher now, what you need to be looking for is like how much exposure am I going to have, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean going to a client meeting and having to sell. Just be in the meeting. But we do know some researchers who work at some firms where they have five minutes on a Monday, they're throwing a few job specs and it's like, come back just when you have a candidate. Yeah. And that's just not good enough anymore. Yeah. Um, if someone goes down that career research route, like they will typically the end game, they want to work for a top 10 search firm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the researcher deals we did last year, the packages that are very good researcher were like, or senior exec with four to five years experience in research. They're, they're like they're six figure salaries. Wow, but they're all in search now. They're not necessarily yeah. in the small boutiques. Well, they, they they're either in a top ten search firm that would be a noticeable brand, yeah. or it would be a director from a top five firm who's maybe set up their own thing. Right, got it. Okay, so with the researchers currently, I'm always keen to know with those models change from a remuneration perspective. Are they getting paid? Per, are they getting a, a percentage of the placement, or are they getting quarterly bonuses? Like, how, how are they getting remunerated as resources? I'd say we advise on that more than we actually advise on consultant salaries. Really? Um, Not so transparent out there then. A lot of our clients are actually giving two um, two options. Like, you know, we we have one search firm we support, and they 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 basically give a candidate they're offering two two options. They're like, you can have a higher base salary mm-hmm. and an annual discretionary bonus, um, or right. you can come in on a lower salary and take a cut of every deal. Okay. And it's okay. really down to the candidate. Okay. Now, typically, if you look at the top five sh- or the Shrek firms, like they will typically give you anywhere between kind of two and four months bonus at mm-hmm. the end of a good year. Um, and what sort of salaries are researchers on boutique? If you're looking at the top five search firms, like typically like th- their levels are researcher, associate, senior associate. Um, those salaries can be something like five, seven, ten. Right. But that path from research to senior associate is a decade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they'll get an annual bonus. So like if you're a senior exec, if, if you're a senior associate, you're, you could be on a hundred grand sing and picking up a 60K bonus at the end of the year. Right. Mm. So you're taking home on 160 grand. 
how, what do you need to do to earn 160 grand as a consultant in Singapore, right? Like you mm. probably need to bill 480K. Yeah. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Interesting. So there is a bit of that. If you, if you go outside the top 10 and you go into researcher roles within contingent firms, and we still do place a lot of researchers and associates, they'll typically get like three to 5% of the fee or they'll get like a fixed 500 to to $1,000 placement. Right, yeah, okay. Um, in a contingent firm, they'll pay a little bit in around the same on base, maybe a bit more. It's probably an 80K role in a good year in a contingent okay. firm. okay. And it's probably a six-figure salary in a search firm. Okay, that's good to know. I think it's really good just to talk about the different well, I think careers need to, that are out people there. People need to know that research. you can earn yeah. a really good living in recruitment yeah. um, in, in, in different ways, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, but it's always been, researchers presume their next promotion is to be a 360 yeah. consultant. and sometimes they, they're, they're actually fantastic as being purely uh, research. I want to move on to sort of retention strategies. Yeah. Um, what are the biggest frustrations for recruiters right now that come to you um, and why, you know, why are they looking to move jobs? Like people would be surprised. It's, it's not typically ever about the money. It's um, even though it's a sales role, mm. um, it's not typically about the money. It's um, usually like if I had to pinpoint one, they've just, that they, they just don't believe anymore. Right. Oh, okay. Um, they feel their business has lost sight of the vision that they were sold initially. Okay. Um, they feel that, Maybe the leadership team or their colleagues aren't as invested as they are. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, it, it's usually that, like you know, or the, or they they were inspired one day, or certainly when they joined, and now they're just going through the motions. And we have a lot of conversations with consultants who are just they'll kick in their twenty five grand every month, they'll pick up their commission check, and they're just bored. Right. And are they, they not, want, are they actually saying to their bosses or they the, will always have the conversation? Like yeah. to be honest, we will always say, um, you know, we talk a lot about counter offers yeah. and. We genuinely say, look, it's easier to fix it, to fix it where you are, mm. than to move. So, and they'll they'll nearly always have had that conversation, right? Um, but it just doesn't change internally. Maybe. Well, you can have that conversation now because it's so hard to hire and it's so hard to replace <laughs> somebody. You can go to like if that was London, like yeah. you know, if you walked out the door, yeah, yeah. Um, so people are working a bit harder to try and change things. Yeah, so it's never really about them. I think like most recruiters know, like, you know, they might get a bit of a pay rise if they move. Yeah. Recruiters typically bill the same year after year. Like you don't really yeah. see recruiters billing 200K and they move jobs and they suddenly do half a million dollars. Yeah. Like, so it, it's nearly always about the leader. It's mm. nearly always about the colleagues. Mm. It's nearly always about, um, they just don't buy into the mission statement anymore. That's really interesting. It's, it's all, it's usually they're the reasons, right? Um, okay, that's really useful. Now there's been a real surge of sort of game rooms and fancy latte machines and fruit bowls and um, fridges filled with beer and all yeah. those things to retain and attract talent. Um, you're meeting recruiters day in, day out. What are you hearing from them? What they're really looking for in a recruitment firm? I mean, you said they want to sort of the vision. I, I appreciate that. But is there anything else that they're, um, that they're looking for in that yeah, next move? Yeah, like... We typically ask, like, what do, the question that we would always ask is, um, like, what do you want to happen at the end of your day? You know, do you want to go for a few drinks with your colleagues or do you want to go home? Yeah. That's a very early question. Yeah. So, look, I just want yeah. to come in and do my job and go home. Yeah. Right? It was at different parts of their lives. And yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes they're like, look, it's really important. Like, you know, it's really important that I can go for beer every evening, yeah. like, you know, to de-stress yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And um, actually, a, a lot of clients, they're really upfront about that. Mm. Like one of our clients missed out on a candidate last week because she told the candidate, look, we're not really friends here. We do well. <laughs> <laughs> we're not really friends. We no, can't maybe do our job No, we are home. friends, but we're like, you know, we don't hang out. 
yeah okay right? we but just being we, really honest yeah we don't hang out and, and actually our candidate was like you know I'm really looking for that like you know and I'm yeah. moving to Singapore and I want to make friends and, yeah that's different um, circumstances yeah, then isn't so, it so like what are we saying look you still all see the bells and whistles and all this mad like I bought an espresso machine last year I thought I was great but like um, it's um, do people Did join for that <laughs> Sometimes, like, I think a fancy office, it, it, some people do want that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's typically it's not adult. the deciding factor. No, no. But um, it, it does work. It creates a bit of buzz. Like, I think if, if a firm is doing something out of the norm like that and, um, you know, they've put an AstroTurf or whatever they've done. Um, it kind of helps, It gets a bit it? of buzz. Yeah. They'll, they'll, get, they'll get a few candidates who, who will, you know, want, want, he'll probably hear about it and they might flick them their resume. Um, but typically, people just want to come in. They want to work with nice people. Yeah, and, and there's a study from just do the job. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a study by Gallup that um, studied a number of organisations over seventy odd years or whatever, and it was all on employee engagement. And one and one of those factors was having a friend at work, yes. having a friend at work and being able to hang out. You know, everyone's yeah. at different stages of their life. That's granted, but to be able to confide in someone that you trust, that you yeah. respect, does make a big difference. And, and where they've come from as well. Like some people have come from that and they're just annoyed with it and they just want to come into a normal office. Yeah. And there's always a period like, you know, you're thinking shifts during like two or four years with a recruitment firm. Like the early days, that's great. And then yes. those days it will grate on you. Yeah. Um, but like in the overall thing, I, I just want to work with nice people. Like, you know, like we hear that, like, I just want to work in a nice firm. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. a non-toxic. But it's different for different people yeah. though, isn't it? It is different for different yeah. people, what they see as a nice, not so much nice, but who they click with. Yeah. Well, when I, when I moved to Sydney, like I, I pretty much um, took that, you know, I, I loved the job, um, but I knew my desk, I could see the opera house. Like that was a big thing for yeah. me. <laughs> but like I was 27 and I was, I knew the key bar was right next door. And like, <laughs> I was in, Dublin lad in Sydney and like at the time that was everything yeah, I, I think I think you're right I think these early early stages when you're young the decisions you make I had no idea what the Robert Walters job particularly was in Singapore I just saw that I just saw where Mark was living he had a swimming pool at Mandarin <laughs> Gardens and where he was living and I thought well sod the job I'm just going to yeah. come out and see how it goes with one it suitcase I think the older you get like, the later, other stuff yeah. becomes a bit more important like but yeah absolutely luckily, but when you're young it's not it's, you're not looking at you're not sort of looking at every single angle are you? yeah just what you need to watch out for is like like hopefully like for me in Sydney that, that was a that was the right firm but it also had that stuff yeah so you just need to be careful you're not joining a firm that's doing that because something else is lacking that's a really good point yeah so it is about them coming in and asking insightful questions yeah at least to find out what's really going yeah. on what types of roles and skills are in demand right now because i'm you know a lot of people that might be listening are recruiters that are looking to move or, or researchers and um and, and is it just singapore that you're particularly covering or i know you've got i know patent partners have offices elsewhere yeah. but you personally are covering the singapore yeah like i'm all in on singapore and yeah. um will occasionally um, maybe get pulled into working on a role outside of Singapore, but like right. really, like I, I'd speak specifically on Singapore. Right. Um, I, I kind of said this in a meeting last week. Like we could probably rebrand as a as a tech rec to rec. I don't think it would affect <laughs> our, our revenue at all. Um, it, it is you know so much like tech banking, tech commerce. Um, our clients are either in it or they want to be in it. Right. Um, and you know, every day, you know, data science analytics. Right cyber but like equally all the other markets are really busy as well like, well even financial services like banking and stuff because i thought that all kind of gone. banking has slowed down a bit like i yeah. think you know a few years back some of our clients would have had like two consultants in risk two in compliance yep, one absolutely. in orders one in legal yeah now they've got one person or none that does all middle office oh, okay. um 
for us, it's a lot of renewables. Um, yeah. Renewables, oil and gas has bounced back a mm. bit as well. Um, a lot of tech, accounting, finance, commerce in Asia. Right. Massive, there's a huge business for Walters, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it is really a mixed bag. Like we don't mm. really look to, like we wouldn't pretend and go sit with like someone who knows data analytics inside out and, and pretend like we do a lot of our matching on just culture fit and what's going to inspire our candidates in their next job yeah but um yeah really if, if we had to pinpoint it it's it's anything in and around tech yeah okay. um but then we do get you know we, we placed an aviation recruiter wow. last year like and interesting it, it really like we're, yeah we're driven by the roles that come in the door if it's for a client that we respect and love and and we know a long time and we think it's a cool role yeah and the business is a good story we take it on right okay um but yeah definitely there's a lot less um like you know a lot less front office a lot less private right. banking what are the levels that are in demand at the moment are these sort of couple of years experience or four to five or more manager md roles um yeah like it, it's 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 that sweet spot of kind of you know consultants with two to four years experience yeah. right um People will obviously like they they will take people at any level as long as they they think that there's they can create a role for them and it can add value. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like the big gap in the market is is more senior level roles. Mm. We're going to go into the real juicy bit now, which yeah. I'm sure most of my listeners are really keen to <laughs> listen to, which is compensation. Um. Can you run through with me some of the commission scheme models that are out there locally in Singapore for both consultants and research? Well, researchers we kind of talked about yeah. already. Um, and have they shifted over the years or are they pretty much the same? Um, like I could talk for days about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely shifted. Okay. Um, again, coming back to kind of the earlier point where like it's it, it may be people are still billing really well in this market. The market's still really competitive. It's just, it's probably harder to bill. Like you're talking about there's double the amount of agencies than there was eight years ago. Mm. Right. How many are there in Singapore? Like licenses, I think there's over 4,000. But like a lot of those licenses, One they're not band. really, they're not, yeah. they're, and they're not really doing like, you know, core recruitment. But um, again, back with the visa situations, like, you know, if, if you're hiring um, a foreigner and you you do have to pay kind of six a month, um, people would rather pay a little lower on base and offer a higher upside. In its most commonest terms, someone on, the way we kind of talk to our clients is someone on five casing a month should be billing 250. Someone on six should be billing 300. Right. Someone on seven should be doing 350 and beyond. Once okay. you hit like a six figure base, you'd want to be billing 400 grand or managing something right. or someone. Right. And what are the, what are the commission, what are the sort of the percentages that are out there? Cause so I, hear real I think end of the day, ones. like however it's paid or if it's monthly, quarterly or however they divvy it up, like, at the end of the day, you, you need to be taking home 30% in your pocket. Right, right. Um, it's still those numbers. If that number's right. above or below the line, like they're the conversations we have. Now, like if it is to go to one of the larger corporates that are paying you at a 22, 25% or mm. a discretionary bonus, yeah. you know, 25% of a million bucks is better than 40% yeah. of... And also I think yeah. with discretionary, like Michael Page and Robert Walters, you've also got a huge client base, huge yeah. database. So it's kind of, I think it's sort of pros and cons, isn't it? Yeah, so I think, you know, most of the... In Singapore, most most of the commission schemes are quarterly, um, which means when you're joining a firm, like it's highly likely your first commission check is after six months, right? Yeah. Um, you'll typically have a grace period in that first quarter. Um, the market has done away with deficits, rollovers, all that sort of stuff. So the stuff okay. they've done to make okay. it more competitive. Um, has there anyone still doing the deficit and the rollovers? Yeah, but they're doing it 
and it makes sense why they're doing it because they typically pay up to 45%. Oh, okay. So the conversations you're having with candidates, because they hear that word and they just want to they, they just want to hang up the phone. But like those candidates, they should want to work in a firm that's protecting themselves. You know, they want to reward candidates for the highest percentage possible, mm-hmm. but they don't want to tear the firm down at the same time. So we'd be saying, look, they do pay to 45%. And the reason they're paying that competitively is, but like, you know, here's why, but you have to take this yeah. into consideration too. Yeah. Very typical is quarterly scheme, three times salary, 30%. Right, okay. Um, usually you'll get to a 35, 40% tier above 120K in the quarter. Okay. And you can go beyond up to 45 and 50. Right. I think for any consultants listening or anyone else, like, you really have to dig deep. Once that commission scheme kind of goes beyond that 40% mark, you know, is it, it, can, it can look too good to be true. Yeah. And you need to be asking a lot of questions about that. Um, if a firm is paying like 50% commission on a quarterly scheme, wow. that's resetting every quarter. Yeah. You can guarantee someone's going to pick up a chunky check and probably leave. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's mixed bag, but like I think at the end of the day, if, if you're taking home less than 30%, you'd probably want to be billing more than 400 and you're doing it because the client platform is so amazing. If you can find a recruitment firm that has an amazing client platform, an amazing brand, a great manager, and they still pay well at 35 and beyond, like that's the dream. And a lot of that does exist. Um, there are still some monthly schemes in the market, but okay. The days of kind of commission houses and yeah. people coming in and banging the gong and getting commission every four weeks. It, it's, it still exists. No more exists. show me the money. There's no more of There's still all that. that. Um, <laughs> it's, it still happens. Well, actually, I saw a gong in one of our clients' offices the other day. <laughs> I saw, actually, I saw it on LinkedIn. Someone did it on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I said, next deal we do, I'm coming down to, to bang the gong. <laughs> I actually quite like but, it. Um, yeah, like, look, the commission scheme is like, if anyone ever wants to talk about that sort of stuff, like, we do proper Excel breakdowns. We have That's really interesting. all the comparisons like I think um, I'm always surprised how many people like maybe don't know the scheme they're on or how it works so like we'll always <laughs> ask a candidate just send us what you're on yeah and then when they've kind of got to final stage with two or three firms we'll do a proper comparison that's a really good idea I also think it's great for recruiters but I think it's also great advice to company owners if people are setting up new recruitment firms or you know they're looking at revising their models it's so useful yeah to, we do a lot of that to be able to reach out and have like that some advice. of our clients yeah some of our clients have got really really creative like we have a client who withholds part of your commission every quarter and they pay it back to you with interest at the end of the year wow and that's um, it's a really good retention policy and um, that really works quite well that's really interesting yeah um but what they're aiming like to do that. is hopefully like it, it is good to attract people a higher comp scheme, but you'd be very surprised how few consultants ask about what's the commission scheme at mm. this next firm. They just presume it's, oh, kind if of it's in and around 30, 35% I'm okay. Right, so it's all the same. Okay. Yeah. That was really interesting. Um, those are all my questions. They were fantastic in terms of your your responses to all of those. So I really appreciate you yeah. coming on the show and giving a different perspective because obviously we've had Justine from Intuitive Recruitment. We've had yourself, Adam, um, from Paddington Partners. And, you know, this was so important for the recruiters out there and researchers to get an understanding of what kind of careers are out there, what kind of job types are on offer at the moment, and but also for the odd MDs that are out there that are interested to know how to retain their staff and yeah. keep them um, or looking at attracting them. It's been really useful. So thank you very much. No, thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.